Hello, hello, this is Zelly Moo. You are listening to Lyrical Audio Candy Tour. This is where we explore books, poetry, and quotes that please every taste. So come on, come on, come on, let's go. Literary treats, oh wait. Good morning, everyone. It is 10.30 a.m. on 3-12-2022. This is Allie Moon. Thanks for joining me. All right, this episode is not going to be very literary-oriented. Um, it's actually just a quick... Well, I always say it's going to be quick, and then it ends up being long. <laughs> this is just a little sort of recap on some of the inspirations I've had over the years about how to get a handle on excessive drinking. So this whole episode is going to be all of the inspirations I've had, all the things that have inspired me on pushing that little pause button and uh, beginning on a sober curious or sober journey. I am not 100% sober, not at all. I go through spurts of sobriety. I would define myself as a sober curious person. Uh, Do I have sort of a pull? I can't talk today. Sort of a pull toward it to maybe abuse it. Oh yes, of course. Um, But actually most of America does. (laughs) If you look at the statistics on binge drinking, many, many Americans binge drink and It can just be on the weekends, it could be on vacation, it could be whatever. But we'll go through some of the documentaries and maybe a movie or two that has inspired me, some people on Instagram that inspire me. What I believe is if you have a problem, a 30-day clean-out is really imperative and you know, some people probably can't go through a 30-day clean-out period safely because they probably will go through DTs. But if your consumption isn't too, like, say you go the entire week and then you binge drink on the weekend, somebody like that could go through a 30-day uh, clean-out period, most likely pretty safely. So it just depends on your current usage. I mean, if you're a you know two drink a night three drink a night person and you just can't stand having that dependence on needing that every single day I doubt that somebody would have DTs like extreme life-threatening DTs if they cleaned out I don't think that they would um maybe the wise thing to do would be to like wean for like a week and then go with the clean out that's what I'm thinking so um All right, moving along to the rest of the episode. All right, and I mentioned binge drinking because there are many people that binge drink. And actually, binge drinking makes you feel probably the best (laughs) in the... You know, when you start drinking and you can really, really feel the alcohol flowing in your body, that's binge drinking. If you were to be moderately drinking something, you probably would have food in your stomach and you really wouldn't feel the alcohol all that much. 
The binge drinking is really what makes people feel that euphoric kind of like high almost. And that's why it is so attractive to people that enjoy drinking. I'm on the CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and it's the Alcohol and Public Health website, and it's entitled Binge Drinking. So I'm going to um, just read what their definition of it is. Okay, so binge drinking is the most common, costly, and deadly pattern of excessive alcohol use in the United States. Binge drinking is defined as consuming five or more drinks on an occasion for men or four or more drinks on an occasion for women. Okay, most people who binge drink do not have a severe alcohol use disorder. However, binge drinking is a harmful risk behavior associated with serious injuries and multiple diseases. It is also associated with an increased risk of alcohol use disorder. How common is binge drinking? One in six U.S. adults binge drink, with 25% doing it, so at least weekly. Very, very common for people. Now, this is not, I'm not reading this. It is very common the way our society set up people that drink on the weekends because they work all week. And the rationalization is you work hard, you play hard, right? Okay. So let's see. I'm just going to move down a little bit here. Who binge drinks? Who is it? Who are you? <laughs> are you in this age category? Let's find out. Binge drinking is most common among younger adults aged 18 to 34. Binge drinking is nearly twice as common among men than among women. Binge drinking is most common among adults who have a higher household income, 75,000 or more, non-Hispanic white or live in the Midwest. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So, you know, it's kind of a good site to go on. It has like a little schematic about who actually does. It has a little bar graph. Um, and it shows like age 25 to 34 is the higher percentage of people. So um, it's interesting to see that. Moving along. Just some more statistics for you on it. I thought I was moving along, but actually the truth is I heard somebody coming toward the room and I had to stop <laughs> because I just hate that when I'm interrupted with when I'm recording. So I had to stop it. Anyway, I'm starting over again. All right. How many binge drinks are consumed? I mean, what's the average? So one in four U.S. adults who binge drink consume at least eight drinks during a binge occasion. Over 17 billion total binge drinks are consumed by adults annually, or 467 binge drinks per adult who binge drinks annually. Wow. Four out of five binge drinks are consumed by men. More than half of binge drinks are consumed by adults 35 and older. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of like looking to see... What else, what else, what else? Um, so this episode is prompted by a couple couple things, actually. So I'm currently on a clean-out period. 
and I'm on day 12, which is fine. I, I feel really great. I wake up every day and I describe my mornings as like my Disney princess mornings because when I wake up, I just feel so fucking great. Like I'm, I'm not foggy. I can think about things clearly. I'm less emotional. Um, yeah, so I feel really great. And I, I don't know if I'll go over 30 days, but I just really like it when I'm on these cleanup periods because I can kind of analyze my life a little bit better. Um, I'm not shaming anyone that, that drinks or anything like that when I'm on these clinical periods. Um, I can sit and reminisce about my great times when I've had tequila shots and whatnot. I can, it's not like I'm mad at alcohol or anything like that. Um, it's just more of a time where I can focus on what needs to be done. And I think everybody, I think it's healthy for everybody to take inventory of their life and just see like, what's working? What's not working? How can I improve this? What things do I want to continue and what things do I need to change? So, all right, moving along. So during the 30-day clean-out, if you decide to do that, you can't just willy-nilly, oh yeah, I'm going 30 days. Because <laughs> I promise you, if you don't have like an arsenal surrounding you, things that are going to help you stay on track, you will, you will break. You will break. Because we all have triggers. Everybody's trigger is different. What are my triggers? My triggers are making dinner. My triggers are Saturday night. Um, not even really Friday night because I work all Friday and then I come home and I, I just feed my face with food. What are, what are my other triggers? Grilling. Uh, parties. So I have, I have several triggers that make me want to drink. It's almost like I've associated it in my head. Well, when I do this, I do this. And it's been like that for years. Actually, gardening used to be a trigger for me, but I've completely eliminated that trigger because I have had so many late night gardening sessions without having any beer that I've like reconditioned myself to not think about having any beer while I'm gardening, which is nice because I don't, I don't like triggers, especially when I'm on a 30-day clean-out. Okay, what is my arsenal? And maybe my arsenal can help you. Okay, you can do your own research on what documentaries you want to watch. I'm a huge movie buff and documentaries, anything in the visual format really means a lot to me. So one um, movie that was very pivotal for me was the movie called 28 Days. It's with Sandra Bullock. And it's about her journey of staying away from drugs specifically. I don't have a drug problem. I uh, never have, never will. I, I can understand. I can understand why and how somebody would go down that path. Uh, and I'm not judging at all. It's just never been my pull. 
I've always had it in my brain that I, I never want to be addicted to that sort of thing because I've seen it. I've seen it growing up um, in certain family members, you know, not in my own household, but in other people in my life, in other households. <laughs> and it's just never been anything I wanted to even attempt. Um, but the funny thing about alcohol is that it's so accessible. It's always clean. You know, you know, for a fact that when you pick up a Bud Light or, or Corona or whatever it is, you know that whatever's in that Corona bottle is Corona. It's not laced with fentanyl. It's, uh, if you think about it, it's, uh, it's safe in that it's not going to be laced with anything. And also it's so accessible. You can go up to the local liquor store, show your ID, pay the person, and you're on your way. You can go to a restaurant and be served. And you're not standing on a street corner uh, paying some stranger for something that you don't even know what it is. So I can see why somebody would go toward the accessible and sort of safe unlaced option <laughs> but uh, using the word safe with alcohol is really not it's not really uh what am i trying to say yeah uh, obviously i'm not gonna say yeah alcohol is 100 safe no no i'm not gonna say that <sighs> i'm gonna say it's unlaced let's just say that um kind of losing my train of thought because I'm going on tangents here. So let me gather my thoughts. I know I was talking about my arsenal. Okay. So that movie 28 Days was really interesting to me. Documentaries, risky drinking. Number one documentary on on alcohol and the various different stories, different people, different scenarios, how we're all not the same. We all don't have the same exact reasons why we overuse or or anything. And all of us are different in the degrees of how we abuse it. So one person might get up from the morning and drink all, all day long. The other person might just drink on the weekends in excess. The next person might have three drinks every single night. And speaking of three drinks, let's get real. Craft beer. When you have three craft beers, that's not three drinks. So doing the research on how much how much actual alcohol is in a craft beer. Think about this, double IPAs. That's not the same as a Bud Light. And the dishonesty, the lies that we tell ourselves. Oh, I'm just having three drinks. Let's get real here. Let's get real. <laughs> the lies we tell ourselves. Yeah. So um, do yourself a flavor and look up UK alcohol units. Alcohol units. So you can actually look up how many alcohol units your special drink has. And then you can really see really see how much alcohol you're consuming okay backing up to the arsenal so that documentary was pivotal for me um people that inspire me my arsenal that inspire me on instagram and also on youtube 
The one singular person that I would say that inspired me so much on YouTube, her website is called, or her YouTube channel is called Addicted to Happy. Her one video, and sometimes I'll pop in and like listen to her other videos, but her one video that inspired me the most was 50, something like 50 Reasons Sobriety Rules. She's this hip chick, tattoos, really pretty, really articulate girl and woman. (laughs) And um, just a lot of what she said just rang true in my mind when I was going through my other several cleanout periods. And there's no shame in several cleanout periods. Anyone who has any kind of addictive thing, it is the same as like addiction of food. <laughs> How many people go on diets several times in their life? Many people do. Anytime you have sort of an addiction or pull or overuse or an abuse of something, you try to revisit it and revisit it and revisit it. And there's no shame in that. Okay. Okay, what other people? Instagram, drop underscore the underscore bottle. Number one, 100% number one person I look toward for inspiration when I'm on these uh, cleanout periods, okay? Sober Mom Rules, another one. Um, But not everybody's a mother, so maybe that might turn off some people as far as like if they're not a mother. Um but still a really good one, okay? The other thing that actually has been really pivotal for me would be if you type in Google and you look up the PDF, now literally type this in verbatim, Guide to Moderation Management Steps of Change, okay? And I'm not suggesting to go on a moderation management journey after your 30-day cleanout period, what I'm suggesting is when you're on your 30-day cleanout period, the journaling is critical. The analyzing of the reasons why, the triggers, your rules that you're gonna set up for yourself, all of these things are critical, critical to success in your future. Some people can't control it, and that's why sobriety is better for them. Some people can. I'm not here to say that everybody who has a problem has to go sober. I'm not saying that at all, because we are all different, and it's something that you just have to define for yourself, because nobody can tell you, oh, you have to do that. No, it's something you have to discover for yourself, and I think... Everybody has a different rock bottom. Like, maybe your rock bottom is drunk texting all these different people, or maybe your rock bottom is is waking up in an alley and you don't know how you got there. Maybe your rock bottom is waking up the next day and you can't bring your kids to their doctor's visits because you're so hungover. Maybe your rock bottom is going to work out and you smell like alcohol. Maybe, and, and I'm, just, I'm just throwing these out there because everybody's rock bottom is different. 
But rock bottoms can bring about change. And it's important that you realize that (laughs) it's okay to look at yourself critically. It's okay to be honest with yourself. It's okay to feel some shame because all of those feelings will propel you toward making a better life for yourself. Okay, moving along. So I am going to read to you literally what this guide to moderation management steps of change suggests during your 30-day cleanout. Okay? I have a notebook. It's a really cute notebook. It has lips all over it. It's kind of a hot salmon color with magenta lips all over the front cover of the journal. My journal has a... It's actually the size of... um, a regular 8 by 10 or whatever, like Sproul notebook. It has little pockets where I've put my guide to moderation management little pamphlet in the pocket. I have journaling throughout the entire thing. And during my, this was about a year ago that I went through a 30-day cleanup period. Um... This is so interesting, like I'm thinking back, because my birthday is just right around the corner here on the March 17th, St. Patty's Day. Um, last year was when I broke my fast, I think, on my birthday. But um, this birthday, I'm on my 30-day, actually, on my birthday, so I'm not going to drink anything. Every year's different. Anyway, so I'm going to read it. <sighs> okay, here's an outline of the steps. The order in which you undertake these steps isn't critical, but it's a good idea to spend at least a little time working on each of them. Number one, start keeping a diary of your drinking to help learn how how your problems with drinking occur. Number two, look at the limits of drinking for moderate drinkers and some of the practices and attitudes that go with moderate drinking to get a clear picture of the moderation objective. Number three, with the clear picture of what moderation looks like, consider whether moderation or abstinence seems the better objective for you. Also, score your problem severity with a self-test, which I have not done, but that's fine. Consider other factors, blah, blah, blah. Four, now this is where things get good. Okay, make an extensive list of the problems drinking has caused you and the benefits you expect from moderation to strengthen your resolve. Number five, start on a period of abstinence of 30 days or more to experience the positives of non-drinking. During this period away from alcohol, you can work through some steps to help you achieve moderation. Now, this is where they define, like, give you some definition of what this means. A, learn skills for avoiding drinking on occasions when you choose not to drink. Think about yourself going to a party. What are you going to do when people offer you drinks? What are you going to say? you need to develop some sort of knee-jerk response. B, learn skills to control drinking on occasions when you do drink. So that's setting up rules for yourself. C, identify the key triggers that lead you to over-drink and develop means to neutralize those triggers. 
Is it when you go to your friend Carrie's house and you tip back way more than you ever intended and you wake up on her couch? These things are not me, by the way. I'm just like coming up like I'm literally coming up with stories and scenarios. I don't even have a friend Carrie. <laughs> uh, just to like clarify that. You wake up and you don't even know where you are. Um, <laughs> uh, D. Develop your own personal rules that will keep your drinking moderate. E. Identify and start new spare time activities that will displace drinking in your life. This E is the most exciting part of it, I think. Because when you're feeling good and excited about your new life and your new way of living think of, and you're feeling great, think about all the cool things you've always wanted to do and you can do them now that you're not falling over and smelling like a hobo. <laughs> I mean, think about, think about all the cool, maybe you want to go rock climbing. Maybe you want to take that swing dance class that you've always wanted to take. Maybe you want to try a new restaurant and explore their mocktail. Yeah, a lot of places have mocktails. Maybe you want to explore their little mocktail thing. Maybe you want to go and go to an ice cream parlor. And when you go to the ice cream parlor, maybe you want to dress up in, in like your favorite vintage dress. I don't know, whatever, whatever freaking floats your boat, right? Okay, so we're getting away from number five or we're moving on to number six. At the end of your period of abstinence, you can start drinking cautiously again, being mindful of your limits and rules for drinking. Maintain a high degree of attention to your drinking during this period and keep a diary. Number seven, if and when you have slips, do a post-mortem post to see what went wrong and change your personal drinking guidelines if necessary. Now, number six and number seven uh, may not apply to some people because cautiously adding drinking back could be detrimental to some people's health. But some people can handle it. Not everybody can. Uh, when I did this and I cautiously added it back into my life, I noticed sometimes that I would slip into sort of a binge drinking situation because the idea of having food in my stomach when I was drinking was not an ideal because I would actually purposely not consume any food so that when the alcohol hit would hit my stomach, I would get that euphoric feeling. If anyone knows anything about drinking alcohol, um, I think one, <laughs> probably people that abuse alcohol, probably the number one thing is you drink on an empty stomach because it feels good. Uh, just a little trick, right? But when you're trying to be moderate, what does moderation look like? Moderation looks like somebody maybe having some dinner, they're just eating their nice Olive Garden salad and having their pasta and maybe sipping a little glass of wine and that's kind of where it stops, right? That's very moderate. Like I can picture that in my mind. I'm at Olive Garden or whatever. I'm not driving. <laughs> so um, I hope all of that sounds intriguing to some people. And if it doesn't, I don't, you know, that's fine too. But um, 
it's a journey. It's not the end. It's a journey. And there's no shame in starting over, ever. I think this concludes the episode. This is my outro, people. And um, I just basically want to say that I'm uh, looking forward to spring. Spring technically will be, let's see, March 20th. Um, Don't forget daylight savings is tomorrow. I'm excited for longer days. I'm excited for warmer weather. I'm excited for getting my fitness level back. I tore my ACL and my meniscus. I had surgery. I'm about five months post-surgery now. And uh, haven't been able to run or jump or dance or anything like that. But I have been able to bike. I'm lifting weights. I'm getting stronger. I'm still trying to lose uh, the... Like I was very muscular before and all those muscles left when I was not active. And I'm trying to get those muscles back. So I'm trying to replace like... (laughs) my body softness with uh, some sculpting like some more of a sculpted look that's just what I prefer I'm trying to get my cardio level up and I'm so looking forward to my progression and I feel like as I limit the alcohol it's just gonna be so much better for me because when you drink it's more calories And they've done scientific studies to prove that people that drink alcohol, they cannot lose their fat as much. So, um, and believe me, because I was non-weight bearing for six weeks and really very inactive for many, many months, um, my fat stores definitely were like uh, awoken. (laughs) My fat cells were like, yes, yes. Oh yes, keep feeding me. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, my thighs look very different, and that's just my personal preference. I do not. I I like. I love firm thighs. I love. I love firm thighs. I love strong thighs, and that's what I want. I want strong, firm thighs. And I'm sure some people are. You know, anyone who's. Um, it's not even about body shaming. It's just what your personal preference is. You know, like, that's what I like. That's what I want on me. So I have the right, just as anybody else has the right to say, oh, yeah, I'm fine with my body. Well, you know what? I'm not fine with my body right now. I want I want to change it. And I have that right. I have that absolute 100% right to say, I want this and I'm going to change it and it's hard work and I'm a hard worker and I can do this. I can do this. So anyone that wants to just, you know, argue, that's fine. I won't listen to you. (laughs) I just won't listen because um, while everyone's preaching, it's so funny. Our society, our society is very interesting and I can probably stick my foot in my mouth the way that way our society is I believe in loving yourself I believe in loving yourself and accepting yourself as who you are but if you look at yourself and you want to change I feel that that should be supported as well so 
As I was going through this accident and I was not allowed to be active, I went from very athletic, very strong. My muscles were showing. I was very proud of how much work I put into my body and my strength. I was very proud of that. And then I was injured and all of that work went away, which was really hard on me. And it's not that I hated my body. I had to grow. I had to sort of grow this love for this sort of softer person that was starting, starting to... (laughs) Because there was nothing I could do about it. So I had to learn. I had to learn to accept my situation and begin to love what I was seeing in the mirror. The benefits. <laughs> Uh, it takes a lot to love yourself. It takes it takes so much courage to love yourself when you don't like what you see in the mirror. It takes a lot of courage. So I saw all of my hard work melt away. And what replaced it was a very soft, a soft, version of myself and I'm not used to that not at all I've always been I've always been very athletic and uh, sometimes very 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 skinny sometimes very lean I've had moments where I've been uh, what would you say voluptuous (laughs) I've had lots of different body types, but this was one, this was a body type that was not by choice. And that's what I didn't like about it. It wasn't my choice. And choice is huge. Choice is huge. Freedom is huge. So I hope that makes sense. So now I'm looking forward to spring and I'm looking forward to Gaining the physicality that I choose. Not a situation that chooses it for me. If that makes sense. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't expect to get emotional. Uh, Okay. Well, everybody, enjoy your Saturday. Think of me. uh, Oh, and you know the activities that... um, you know, the activities during the 30-day cleanout where they say immerse yourself basically in some of the activities that you've always really wanted to do or whatever. I will be making a cake. I have been making cakes since uh, January, actually a few days before January, and I will be making 
a lovely carrot cake. And this is something that I've kind of thrown myself into and I'm loving it. I made, let's see, on Valentine's Day, I made a red velvet cake from scratch. I forgot the eggs, unfortunately, um, but the cake still tasted good, according to my family. At the time, I couldn't really taste anything because I was going through, uh, you know, the effects of having COVID. <laughs> so, but they said it was really good. And um, next time I make a red velvet cake, I will put the eggs in. This was a really long outro. And I hope all of you understand that I've never wanted a podcast where I fucking fake emotion. I'm not a fake emotion person. I wear my heart on my sleeve. At least I try to. And I'm not really... My intention is not to ever tell anyone what to do. It's more of like try to be one of those people that maybe inspires something. Maybe teaches something. Maybe somebody can sort of relate to what I'm feeling. And that to me, even one person, that's a win. That's a win. So (laughs) enjoy your Saturday. I'll talk. Um... I'll talk to you all later and uh, I wish you all well.